How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now verse 4, pay attention. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. O Lord, of God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And Psalm 84 is describing a pilgrimage to the house of the Lord. It's describing a journey to the house of God. And we recognize that the house of God that the psalmist is describing is in a place and it is connected to geography. It says there in verse 7, each one appears before God in Zion. It's talking about a pilgrimage journey. It's talking about a journey of faith where longing for the presence of the Lord is going to be met when they reach the destination that the, the, that the pilgrim is seeking after. And we can look at the story of scripture redempt, redemptively from beginning to end and in it we find that there are roads that lead to Zion and there are roads that lead from Zion to the ends of the earth. And here we catch a glimpse of that, of this, of this uh, road to Zion, this heart that's set on pilgrimage here. And the road to Jerusalem uh, that goes to it and flows from it is in the overarching story of Scripture redemptively. We think back about the father of our faith, Abraham. It says in the, from the New Covenant that Abraham, in his journey of faith, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was the Lord. His heart was set on pilgrimage in following the voice of God to leave the land that he came from and go to a place that God would show him and establish for him and his generations after him. And so in the beginning, we have the Garden of Eden, which is called, which means delight in Hebrew. And there was everything without any lack for man to live in fullness before God and in the presence of God. At the end of the Bible, in the redemptive story, we have the, we have the Jerusalem on earth and we have the Jerusalem of heaven and they come together in a garden city. And that garden city is called the New Jerusalem. And it comes down from heaven and overlays on the physical Jerusalem, which is on Har Zion, Mount Zion, the place of God's appointment, the place at the center of the earth. And it was there that we see geographically 
that the, when God looks from heaven at the globe, he sees Jerusalem at the center of the earth. If you were to pull all the land masses of the globe together and you pull them all into one big, huge landmass, you find Jerusalem as the center point right there in the middle. There's something that's special, and, and we've talked about this the last few days. God loves geography. God loves land, and God loves place. He's not only after saving souls of mankind or men and women, but he's after redeeming everything that he created and that includes land and geography and place and so when our theology our understanding of salvation and redemption it must include not only peoples of the earth but it must include the entire cosmos in 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 the jewish mind this is summed up in a phrase called tikkun ha-olam the restoration of every created thing it comes back it's drawn back into the full purposes of God even after the effects of sin and separation from God that touched both man and it touched the land as well remember when 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 Adam was and Eve were sent out of the garden but then it says now you're gonna have to work the land and no longer will it be as favorable to you so the curse of sin brought separation from God but also lack of fruitfulness when man is redeemed then he redeems the land and it becomes fruitful and yields its increase unto the glory of God again so God is interested in geography he's interested in place and it's this journey of faith this pilgrimage that Abraham went on and then his sons went on was connected to Zion it was connected to going up to the land of promise and with Jerusalem as its center point and to go out from it and up and back and forth and the roads of Zion to and from define God's redemptive plan throughout the ages. We don't it's, have the time this morning to look into it throughout Scripture, but it's a pattern as you study the Scriptures that you see. It's coming towards Zion and going out from Zion that the, 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 the walk of faith is expressed. And so there is something, if it's so significant to God, if land and place and geography are significant to God, then it means that we need to come into alignment with him. If we align our hearts in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, with the king, we also need to align our hearts with the throne of God. And this throne of God will be established and the authority of the kingdom will be released from Zion to the ends of the earth. So this is an issue of spiritual alignment. And we want to come into spiritual alignment by adjusting some of the things of our heart to come into line with God's plan and the truth of his word, but also the zeal and the passion of his heart. And so we're going to talk about the, the, how do we come into alignment this morning through understanding God's priorities and understanding God's passions in regards to Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Now, what is in my heart is for you as you get ready to launch tomorrow morning early to go to the land of Israel, that there it stirs up a sense of alignment, but it stirs up the priorities of God in your own hearts as you go to the land and experience God in Israel, but also it will stir up passion in your heart for the redemption of the land and the full picture of what God is doing in our day, bringing it closer than ever before to his ultimate in time purpose being fulfilled.
Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that today that you would open up your word to us. Father, we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask, Lord, that as we look at Scripture, you would reveal your heart to us. You would reveal the grandeur of your plan that's throughout the ages that's being revealed to us today with greater clarity than ever before, Lord God, and that you would reveal our purpose and our place in your great plan. Thank you, Lord. So we look at this idea of Jerusalem as geography, Jerusalem as a place, and we see it as an anchor point, as a center point, as the epicenter of God's redemptive plan for the whole earth, for the nations of the world. It's a place of God's choosing. In Psalm 2, it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Let's just turn there quickly. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So here we have the person of the Messiah, the king of Israel and the king of the nations, and we have the place of God's choosing, his holy hill called Zion, the mountain of the Lord. It says that the kings of the earth at one time are going to scoff, they're going to take counsel together, they're going to come up with their ideas, and they are in contradiction to the anointed one of God. But God is not nervous about what's happening. Today, you can barely go a few days in international news without seeing Jerusalem highlighted in the news and it is a stumbling block for the nations it's a stumbling block for the best reconcilers in the world it's a stumbling block it's a cup uh, of contention in the earth they don't know what do we do with the Jerusalem problem what do we do with this great city of of where they gave birth to the monotheistic faiths what do we do with the, the with the political uncertainty that's surrounding all these things and they come up with the best of their ideas but they cannot find an answer and so they lean upon the strength of their own minds and the strength of their own carnal wisdom but God is in heaven and he's laughing over the best of the kings of the earth's minds concerning Jerusalem because he has appointed his king, the Messiah, Yeshua, and he has appointed the place that he will rule and reign from. The place that he went up from, he will return to, it says in Zechariah chapter 14. And he will place his feet on the Mount of Olives and they will split into and he will enter into the royal city of Jerusalem. And so God is laughing in the midst of the strife of the nations over Jerusalem. His, his plan is a good plan. His plan will be accomplished and he's working it so that every eye will not be able to see the, the, a nation, a people, 
or one group or another, but their every eye will see the glory of the Lord when he makes Jerusalem a cup of praise in all the earth. This is the good news of God. He's not nervous concerning Jerusalem. Although the nations rage and they battle over this city, this place of God's choosing, God is laughing because he will show himself strong and he will show his glory in the solution of the king and the king sitting upon the throne in Jerusalem, the place of his choosing. For the people of Israel, there was an issue of alignment that they had to come in with. He gave them the whole land, and he gave them the borders of their land. And there was an allotment to the 12 tribes when they would come into the land of their inheritance that each of their borders were established as the tribes. Yet there was a place. There was a center point. There was an epicenter for their national identity and for all the families and the tribes to gather to, and that's called Zion. That's called Jerusalem, the hill of the Lord. And so they actually, most of the, if we look at the Torah, most of the identity was based on tribe, clan, and family throughout the year. It was based on the land, the allotted land that they were given their inheritance of. But then the Lord instructs the Israelites that when they come into the land, that they're three times a year, they're to come into alignment with the hill of the Lord. And they are to make a pilgrimage as the heads of each household three times a year at three of the seven feasts. They're to come up at Passover, at Shavuot, and then at Sukkot, at the Feast of Tabernacles. So Pesach in Hebrew, Passover, at Shavuot, Pentecost, and then at Sukkot, at the Feast of Tabernacles. They are to be ascend the hill of the Lord. And there's a whole section of the Psalms that is dealt specifically with the songs that the clans and the tribes, the families of Israel would sing as they approached Mount Zion. If you have a songbook that's dedicated to pilgrimage, it's something, it's like that it's like that playlist that you're going to have when you're going to go on a road trip and you're so excited about this journey and you pick your favorite songs and you're pumped for that and you get your friends in the car together and you're going you're gonna to do that Spotify playlist. Well, the Psalms of Ascent was that for ancient Israel. They were the songs, they were the songs something like this that would say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. There will be singing and there will be dancing as we put our feet on the paths to Zion. Or another one, Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They were ascending those hills. And as they were ascending and they were singing and they were praising and they were living in anticipation of encountering the presence of God in his temple, they were singing one to another. And then they said, this is a treacherous journey. He will not let your foot slip along the ways. You come up these lower hills. The Lord will watch over you. He'll be like the sun at day and he'll watch over your feet at night. The Lord will protect you and preserve you and it says I look up to the hills where's my help come from it was a matter of their perspective you see their goal was to get to the temple and to bring their sacrifice and bring their worship and stand in the presence of the living God in Jerusalem in his holy temple on the temple mount the heart's on there and yet there was something great that God was saying As you look up the mountain, as you journey up the mountain, don't just look to the hill, 
but look to the Lord, the creator of the hills. And so by going up to Jerusalem and going up to the temple, it was a way that they would be elevating their vision to see the God who reigns in the heavens that would meet with them there in that place. And there's all these psalms of ascent, of going up to the place of the Lord. In, uh, in Zechariah 14, it speaks of a prophecy concerning in the end days that there will be a test upon the nations that will be put in place of whether or not God will bless the nations with rain for their lands so that they will have sustenance that's given by the blessing of God for every nation. And it's dependent on now the nations joining Israel one time a year. So for Israel, it's three. For the nations at the end of the age, it'll be once to send delegations from every nation to go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles there. And, uh, and it says those that do not send a delegation, rain will not fall on their land. They'll step out from under the favor of God. Do you see that the Lord is requiring us that in our hearts and in our actions to see Jerusalem as the center of the earth? It's where he reveals himself in his Shekinah presence. And it's where he reveals his word, which is the, the revelation of his character his nature, and his ways to the ends of the earth. So it says, for out of Zion, the law of the Lord will go forth. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I'll, 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 we'll come back to that reference uh, later on. It's interesting that at Sukkot, there was a special sacrifice that was offered during Sukkot of 70 bulls and this comes the number 70 uh, for the people of Israel was a representative number and we know that that the numbers have have meaning to them from a biblical context 70 because of of the description in Genesis chapter 10 of the nations that were set apart during the time of Noah that they're listed as 70 nations so 70 becomes representative of the nations of of the earth from then on. At Sukkot, at the Feast of Tabernacles, 70 bulls are sacrificed before the Lord, and it's a representation of the redemption that goes to the nations that the nations then might bring an offering to the Lord and meet him there in Zion. Jerusalem is not only the center point or the epicenter of the nation of Israel, it's the epicenter of the nations of Israel the world. Now in scripture, Jerusalem is called by many names. Some are literal and some are poetic. In Genesis 14 verse 18, it's called peace or wholeness. Salem or Salem in English we say. Jerusalem, Genesis 14, 18. In Genesis 22, verse 2, you can jot these scriptures down if you want to refer to them later. It's called Moriah. And Moriah is the place where the binding of Isaac took place. It's in, in Hebrew, it's called the Akidah. And the Akidah is the central to the covenant of God being established, where Abraham responds back to God's covenant with him and with his children by ratifying the covenant and offering his only son of promise on Mount Zion. 
That act of faith by Abraham was a foreshadowing of God himself offering his only son for the redemption of the whole world. As Abraham was willing to give up the son of promise that was represented all of the blessings and all of the promises that God gave to Abraham and to lay him down as a sacrifice at Moriah, which is Jerusalem, is the same place. Then later on, God would offer up for the whole world. God sent his son to save for the salvation of all the earth there at the exact same place where Yeshua died upon the cross. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 12, I'm going to go fast through all these, but you can jot them down if, if you want to get them. It's the, another name is called the city of David. And we know that David, it's amazing to me about David and his walk with the Lord established something, not just for himself, but his obedience, his faithfulness in his heart after God left him with a promise. Like Abraham had a promise that he would be a blessing to the nations of the earth and that his children would be like the stars in the skies. David's unique promise was that there will always be a king from your lineage that would sit upon the throne of Israel. From that place, he's considered the greatest of the kings of Israel. And in fact, the Messiah himself would be defined by David's line, by his lineage. It says, it says that, you know, you always have one that sits on the throne. But in Revelation 22, then we find that Yeshua, the Messiah... Jesus is defined exactly not only by what, who was before Yeshua at the creation and the beginning of God's salvation plan, but he is called the root and the offspring of David. Can you imagine that you live in such a way with such a heart after God that God inserts you into the salvation epic story from beginning to end that your name is not only carried on in the, in the kings of Israel and your dynasty is established for the ruling of Israel from that time on, but the, the Messiah himself is recognized by being both before and after David. Yeshua is defined as Messiah, by being connected to the name of David. Absolutely incredible. Jerusalem is called the city of David as well. This is another of its meanings. In Isaiah 29, verse 1, it's called Ariel. And Ariel um, it has two meanings. Uh, Ariel is the word uh, that, that, mean, or that means lion of God. And it also can mean altar of sacrifice because of the tabernacles and the temple that, became, that were there on the mountain. So Ariel is used synonymously. Literally, it means lion of God, but it's also used for the altar of sacrifice. Psalm 46, verse 4. Psalm 48, 1. Psalm 87, 3. They refer to Jerusalem as the city of God. This is God's address on earth. The city of God. It's God's uh, address, he, he, the place where he, that he calls it home. That's why Psalm 84, that's talking about the pilgrimage roads to Zion, start out with saying that, that my soul longs and it faints for the courts of the Lord. A place where even the sparrow has found a home in the altars of God in the presence of the Lord. And so it is God's address, his house, his home. His street address on the earth. 
in Lamentations 2, verse 15. Lamentations 2, 15. Jerusalem is called the perfection of beauty and the joy of the whole earth. This is speaking prophetically. In this day and age, it's only those who have eyes to see that can look at Jerusalem and call her the perfection of beauty and the joy of the whole earth. But that's what God is chuckling in heaven over, saying, although they can't see it, I am working a plan in the earth that is the perfection of the beauty of my design, of my glory. You guys, stay, stay with me sharp. We're going to move through a lot of, uh, of scripture here and, uh, and these big ideas so that our hearts become centered on the plan of God. And if you need, you know, you can write the scriptures down, but look them up later because we're going to move fast through this, okay? And so it's called the perfection of beauty and the joy of the whole earth. This is speaking prophetically. Let me challenge you with something. As you go up to Jerusalem in these next few days, I don't know exactly your itinerary in Israel, but begin to speak prophetically according to the heart of God and you will literally break through the noise of the nations. You'll break through the demonic atmosphere, the swirling accusations of the armies of the evil one and when you declare these kind of promises and when you go up to Zion, let there be a song in your heart and let you're riding in the bus or however it is that you're going and pull out those, those psalms of ascent or then take from Lamentations 2 and say, Zion, you are the perfection of beauty. There's a beautiful design to God's plan concerning this city, concerning this place. See with spiritual eyes when you walk the streets of Jerusalem, when you walk around her walls, consider the ways of God. When you move about her ramparts, think about, I ho hopefully you can do the ramparts tour where you walk on the old city walls and you look down at the old city and the new city on the other side and consider the, the plan of God throughout the ages that ultimately what God says about Jerusalem is that his plan and the glory of his design will be revealed that people will call her the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. Ultimately, when, when John has the revelation there and he's describing the new Jerusalem that comes down, he describes her like a jewel within her dimensions with pearls as her gates, the perfection of beauty. And it, and it links in the story of the, of the heads of the tribes of Israel and, and that are upon the gates and then the foundations of those gate, the gates that are pearls are the, uh, the 12 apostles down below. It brings together the, the glory of God's design in the old old covenant through a priestly nation and in the new covenant through the apostles that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, the perfection of beauty in her dimensions and in, in, in her perimeter, in, in, her, in her measurements that there is something in the heart of God says that she will be like a jewel coming down from heaven or in other languages, a bride dressed in glory coming down and when heaven and earth come together, it will happen in that place. And it says, no longer will there need to be a sun in the sky. It says in Isaiah, for the Lord himself shall be her light. 
No longer will there need to be a temple for the glory of the Lord will fill all in all in the, the center point, the epicenter of God's glory that will cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea according to the prophet uh, Habakkuk is from Jerusalem to the nations. The shining that's gone forth from Jerusalem to the nations in, in history has been through the word of God going forth. His law, it reveals his character and his nature and ways. But what is coming is the full expression of his glory. What is coming is not only the words that tell of who he is, but it's the manifestation of his presence from Jerusalem to the nations. New York will bow in front of Jerusalem. London will bow in front of Jerusalem. Los Angeles will bow. Hong Kong and, and Tokyo and the nations and the, be- the biggest and the best with their culture, Rome, all of them will bow to the glory of God that radiates like a bride coming out of heaven that's touched down upon earth. We're a place where the glory of the Messiah radiates forth and that's with such intensity that God's glory covers every nation from that place. The center point, the epicenter. This is what we have to look for. So as you set set your feet on Jerusalem streets, don't look with your natural eyes and say, wow, it's the Middle East. There's trash here. I didn't know that there was going to be trash on these streets. Sometimes people get really disillusioned. No, it's the Middle East still, and they don't have the best understanding of cleanliness. But there's a day that's coming. There is a time that's coming when the glory of the Lord will be seen all around her. Speak to it and say, Jerusalem, you're the perfection of beauty. (laughs) Woo, thank you, Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 35, you note the reference, Matthew 5, 35. It calls Jerusalem the city of the great king. The city of the Messiah. The city of the kingdom of heaven. The way that Yeshua spoke about the kingdom and described the kingdom. In the book of Matthew, he refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven. And so he's speaking prophetically about himself and about his rule and his reign. Every time when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is your, in your midst. The kingdom of heaven is around you. But then when he describes Jerusalem as the city of the great king. It's him on his hill, on his throne. It's foreshadowing and looking at the fullness of when he is welcomed back again to his holy city. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He comes again as ruling and reigning victorious king. Without a doubt, Lord of Jerusalem, Lord of Israel, and Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords over every nation and place on earth. So these are the scriptures that speak about the physical aspects of the geography of the place of God's choosing of Mount Zion, the holy hill of God, the, 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 the city of Jerusalem, the city of the great king, the city of God, Ariel, the city of David, Mount Zion, Moriah, Salem, all of these different ones are speaking about the physical place. But there's a spiritual dimension as well to the prophetic words that are are spoken over Jerusalem as well and how we come into alignment 
with the hill of the Lord, with the place of his authority and the place of his government. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 87, let's look there. Psalm 87 with just seven verses says, His foundation is in the holy mountains, and the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. It takes a people set apart from the nations to speak glorious things in this day. We stand as priests interceding on behalf of the future fulfillment that's come when we talk about glorious things concerning Jerusalem. What's going out over the airwaves, what's going out over the internet, what's going out throughout the world, if if you were to Google Jerusalem, is mostly negativity, contention, confusion, and all of these other things. But glorious things will be spoken of her. Glorious things will be said of her. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people. This one was born there. Both the singers and the players on the instruments say, all my springs are in you. Now, in the first uh, three verses, it talks about the physical Jerusalem, the gates of Zion. The, dwell- the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob. All of that. And then all of a sudden, it begins to talk about Babylon. It talks about Rahab. It talks about Ethiopia and Philistia and Tyre. It talks about those from different nations. That there's a reality that when the hearts of the nations come into alignment with Zion, that it's not only the physical place, but there's a spiritual blessings that are released so that God would actually be able to record those who are aligned with Zion as saying, you have an inheritance in that city. You have been added into the register of those who belong to Zion. Those who speak glorious things concerning Zion. It says that, in it, that they will be recorded. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the people. We don't want to be registered according to the negativity. We don't want to be registered according to the contention or the confusion. We want to be registered by the Lord with alignment in our hearts to Zion. So much so that God says, you have an inheritance in my holy city. You are registered as if you were born there. You have an inheritance there. You have an identity there. You have a destiny in the place of my choosing. And he mentions these places like Babylon and Philistia. And those are the most unthought of. Those were the enemies of ancient Israel. And he's saying, but out of those nations, if you come into alignment, there will be a spiritual reality of Jerusalem that the Lord will say, it's as if you were born in that city itself. There's a spiritual understanding of Zion as well. That's the new Jerusalem reality that's in heaven, but it will come down to earth. 
There's an alignment from the nations. That's why the blessing comes upon the nations when they come up at the Feast of Tabernacles to worship the Lord in Jerusalem because there's been an alignment already in their hearts and it releases blessing and favor on those representatives, those delegations from the nations to be able to carry that. We, from every place that you come from, can have alignment in your heart and be recognized. Now, interestingly enough, it ends with saying both the singers and the players of instruments say, all my springs are in you. The way to access Zion for ancient Israel was through songs of ascent, the way that they came up three times a year to the feast. And the way that we come into alignment with the spiritual Zion is through the lifestyle of worship before the Lord. As singers and musicians, there becomes an alignment in our hearts. Amazingly enough, in our day and in our age, the movement of prayer in the nations is bringing greater alignment to Zion than many of the other streams of the church because it's the singers and the musicians that ascend that hill of the Lord and they begin to see the glory of God's plan and his design that culminates in Jerusalem, in the hill of the Lord, and it includes the representatives of every nation appearing before the Lord there in Zion. So the key to access this alignment in our hearts and to be able to receive our inheritance as those joined together, or as Paul would say, a part of the commonwealth of Israel, those that are grafted in to come into alignment with Israel is through intimacy, it's through worship, it's learning the ways of God in ascending the hill of the Lord. This place right here where you're having your classroom is at a certain physical elevation. But I want to say that it's also established as the hill of the Lord. You've come to a high place spiritually, not just physically. But whenever there is an altar that is established before God with sacrifice continually being presented before the Lord, which we recognize in the new covenant is praise on the lips of God's people is the new covenant sacrifice. When we're a place that's given to praise, it creates an elevated place. It creates a, a, a lifted up place or a spiritual mountain. And so that's why from this area, the declarations that go forth are, yes, we're on the side of a natural mountain here in the Trotos Range, but in the spiritual realm, we're in a high place before the Lord to look out over the waters of the Mediterranean, to look out into Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, and all of these places that surround us, and declare the word of the Lord because of the altar that has been established here, the place of praise wherever you go establish an altar before God and the Lord will elevate that place spiritually to give you authority both to see and to declare just got to take my word for it if you don't if you haven't apprehended this yet in your life if you give yourself to building your personal altar and then you join to others from that personal altar with your family to create a family altar. And from a family to join a community to create a community altar, the Lord will establish his holy hill in that place. And that's what God is doing all over the earth. 
That's what God is doing in the Isaiah 19 highway. That's what God is doing in the silk routes. That's what God's doing in the back to Jerusalem highways. And so this highways of Zion that go out from Zion, that was the gospel going from Jerusalem first to the witness of the Torah, which is the revealing of God's character, nature, and ways to the nations. And then it was in the gospel going out in the new covenant from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as it's gone to the ends of the earth, it's moving back towards Jerusalem now. And everywhere where that witness has been and where there is established mountains of the Lord, they are being reawakened in our day and age to be able to see clearly and to align hearts from the mountain peaks so that from one mountain we will declare to the next that our God reigns. One mountain will declare to the next. We'll speak good tidings. Get up on a high place, the scriptures say. Get up on a high mountain and declare the word of the Lord. Get up on a high place. The way that we build that is by establishing the altar of God in a lifestyle of obedience, sacrifice, worship, prayer, praise, prophecy, and all those things. And in the spiritual realm, there's a mountain that's established by which we have authority to speak over regions, over cities, and over nations, and bring alignment to the center of the earth, to bring alignment to God's holy hill in Zion. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would release grace, Lord God, for each of the students here and the nations that they come from of how to establish themselves in the hill of the Lord, how to establish themselves and how to create and to to get up on a high mountain spiritually through establishing worship and prayer and the lifestyle of sacrifice through obedience that establishes authority in the mountain of Lord to be elevated. Because what connects all these places is, is called the highway of the Lord. And the highway is an elevated place. So you have to raise up. You have to raise up. You have to raise up from what's ordinary and around you. And the Lord is establishing holy highways, connected points, paths of redemption throughout the earth that are all converging back at Jerusalem at the center of the earth and the place of God's choosing and the center of his government. At the end, government and glory intersect. At the end, it's the glory of Jerusalem is revealed by the presence of the Lord without hindrance there. And government is established, which brings peace to the nations, which brings righteousness to the nations. And government and glory go together. Beauty and glory will cover the earth in the redemption. It will make the earth look like Eden again. But glory will also be manifest in government to bring order and righteousness and it will establish the nations according to their unique redemptive callings. It all ties back to that anchor point in Jerusalem. Now, in establishing that spiritual mountain, the mountain of the Lord, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, He prophesied in song things that he may not have always fully seen in his day, but because his heart was after the Lord, his heart was in the place of alignment. And he would sit in the tabernacle in the tent of the Lord, and he would sing, and and then he would catch a sound of the Lord. He would he would he would catch the movements of God. He would see into things that were far beyond his years, and he would record them in song. And and he would it was like speaking to realities that were to come, and they were recorded down in the psalms for us and we use them in our worship and our prayer to connect to those realities and we can access those places again 
And so think, think about the hill of the Lord as well. In Psalm 24, it says in the Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. He was there in the tent and he was gazing at the beauty of God in Zion. He was gazing at the beauty of the Lord on Zion's holy hill. He was there and he was looking into the future and he was peering into the fullness that would come. And he, from that high place, from that pinnacle of the nations, he was declaring, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. The world and those who dwell within it. So both the land and the people are, belong to God. And he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And then he says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He was on that physical Mount Zion. But he was saying, how is it that you access this elevated place of seeing the nations of the earth? How is it that you access the whole the entirety of the whole earth? And who may stand in his holy place? And he gives the answer to his question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He's a people of clean hands on the outside, but they're clean on the inside because it says that their lips are clean, that there's no lie upon their tongues. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They haven't sworn deceitful. They haven't given their souls to idolatry. This one, the ones that ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and pure hearts, they will receive blessing from God and righteousness from the God of their salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And he said the ones who are able to ascend are the ones that are clean, have been cleansed on the inside and on the outside. The priestly system was given towards the cleansing of the external through washings and, and putting on linen and clean garments. But David was peering into the new covenant. He's saying they're going to be clean on the inside and on the outside. And there will be a generation of those who seek him. And then he begins to declare concerning this hill of the Lord. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. In this place of alignment to the hill of the Lord, there's something by which as we ascend that holy hill and we come in purity and cleanness that, that we can stand before the gates of Zion. We can stand before the gates to Jerusalem and we, been, we declare to them, lift up your heads, be lifted up you ancient gates and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. It's almost as if David is sitting on Zion, but he's looking into a future day and having a vision just like John the Revelator had from Patmos. He's having a vision of the heavens, the gates of heaven being opened there in Revelation 11 where it says and then I saw him sitting on uh, no sorry then I saw him sit, seated upon a white horse with the host of heaven the armies of heaven about to come down saying lift up your gate your heads oh you gates and be lifted up you everlasting doors that the king of glory and it describes him the king of glory he's the lord strong mighty in battle when Yeshua came the first time he came meek 
and lowly. He came as the son of Joseph, a suffering servant is called in Isaiah. But when he comes again, he's the Lord, strong and mighty. He's coming to take up his city. He's coming to take up his throne. He's coming to rule and reign over the nations of the earth. David sees it from that elevated place of the hill of the Lord. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? If David saw it in his day, if we with clean hands and a pure heart, we need that kind of vision in our eyes that can literally, literally prepare the way of the Lord to open the gates of heaven that the King of kings and the Lord strong and mighty can come to Jerusalem and come to the whole earth through the place of God's choosing. There's the idea of the elevated place spiritually connects to the government of the Lord, the hill of the Lord, place of instruction, of authority. Remember when Yeshua in Matthew 17 goes up on a hill and he takes, is it Peter and John? Peter, John, and James in Matthew 17. And it says that he goes up onto a mountain Now after six days, Yeshua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. There's something about establishing the hill of the Lord spiritually that releases the government of God. And here we have Moses, the lawgiver, and then we have Elijah, the prophet of fire to the nation of Israel that set Israel into order. Both of them are governmental in their nature. Moses was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the one who restored the nation back to the ways of God. And they're there together with Yeshua in that high mountain together by themselves, and the glory comes. I want you to be able to see that government and glory go together. Government and glory go together. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. It will continue on and on in the manifestation of the fullness of what government and glory are meant to be. In Matthew 17, Yeshua was transfigured or transformed or we got a foretaste of his glorified state there. Thank you, Lord. Father, that we would give our hearts, that we give our lives in ourselves to the establishment of your government and your glory in the hill of the Lord. That as we align with Zion, wherever we go, Lord God, that you would teach us how to access in the spiritual realm a high place. Through building altars of worship and prayer and the lifestyle of obedience together to you, that you would establish us on high mountains by which we could declare to Jerusalem that God reigns. That we could speak good tidings towards Jerusalem of the coming of the King. In, on Saturday, Sarah and I are going to go from Tel Aviv to a town, or we'll be right next to the town of Meveseret Zion. Meveseret Zion means good tidings, good news. 
to Zion. And it's one of the hills that are part, the lesser hills that are part of ascending to the hill of the Lord in Jerusalem. And there's this idea that you, from lesser hills, we declare the good news towards Zion. So what God is doing is he raises up altars of prayer and worship all over the earth and, and consecrated ones in obedience there is that there's a declaration that's going forth that's bringing alignment to the ultimate government and glory of the Lord in physical Zion, in physical Jerusalem. And we establish many Zion, M-I-N-I, smaller Zions, and many around the earth to prepare the way for the full manifestation of God's plan in his holy city, on his holy hill, in the place of his choosing. Thank you, God. Think about with me, if we want to come into alignment, we need to bring the areas of passion and priority into perspective. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at a couple scriptures connected to passion for Jerusalem. I hope that there's a building expectation in your heart to visit this place. It's not just another city. It's, it's not just another city. It's not just another capital. It's unique in all the earth. Is it saved yet? Is is it been redeemed fully yet? No. But we as the ones who have been recorded as being born in Zion have the ability to speak to her about what she will be. And so she will become the perfection of beauty. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at Psalm 48, the glory of God in Zion. And catch the passion here in the psalmist's heart. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy elevation, uh, in his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Thank you, Lord. Right here in these two verses, we have language for our prayer and language for our worship as it, as it is pointed towards God in the place of his choosing. First of all, we recognize that it's the greatness of God that beautifies the place of his choosing. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's worthy of our praise in the city of our God. Father, you are great and you are greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. And it says, beautiful in elevation. Now, the interesting thing is that Zion is not the highest mountain in Israel. There are other higher elevations physically. There are other, you, you, you have Hermon in the north. It is far higher in its elevation. So there's something else that the, the psalmist is speaking of here, that there is an elevation, there is a raising up of Zion in the heart of God, in the passion in the heart of God that the psalmist is connecting to when it says beautiful in elevation. It's not even necessarily like if I want to see the beauty of mountain peaks, I'm going to go to the Alps. 
You know, it, but there's something, there's a greater reality than what our physical eye and physical measurements alone can make. But it says that it's the Lord is magnified, that the Lord is seen as great in his city and in his holy mountain that's beautiful in elevation. In other words, in the election and in the choosing of God of Zion, there is a beauty. So it says that it will become the perfection of beauty in front of the whole earth. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hastened away. Fear took a hold of them, and pain is a woman in birth pangs, as when, the bra- as when you break the ships of Tarshish with the east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Just feel the passion of the language here in Psalm 48 concerning Jerusalem. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. God is revealed in a place. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of of the earth. There's only one center point, there's only one anchor place where the ends of the earth can be touched from. In the first year of the GTS, we did a recording uh, of, of songs that God was releasing to us, and I had a vision while we were recording, and, and, it, and it was recorded on this first album we did called Falling Into Heaven, where I saw a post rising up from Jerusalem. And that post was being raised up by the Lord to be the center point of a canopy or of a great tent, and then stakes that were to the four corners of the earth, and that was the place of God's glory covering the whole earth. But the center post was coming up from Jerusalem, that God was elevating the focus and the significance of Jerusalem so his glory can be seen around the whole earth. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad. Judah is the, is the tribe in the region that is in the hills around Jerusalem. Let the daughters of Judah, let those lower hills be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers, mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God. Forever and ever, he will be our guide, even to the death. There's something of eternal quality in nature that generations are to catch sight of and pass to the next generation of all the things that are spoken concerning Jerusalem here. Pass from generation to generation till there is a witness that is sufficient from the earth to establish her in glory when he comes Again, there will be a swelling up in the midst of great darkness over the earth of a understanding of the centrality of Jerusalem. And there'll be a witness. That's part of what's going on in the prayer movement is that there is a swelling of an understanding of God highlighting the centrality of Zion and the linking to that that is creating a witness and waves of revelation, waves of understanding to wash across the nations and to come back up to this place of God's choosing 
using. And at the same time, the culmination of the other things that are contingent upon the return of Yeshua. One, the gospel to the ends of the earth. And two, a redeemed remnant in Jerusalem calling for the gate of heaven to be opened up and for him to be welcomed as a bridegroom back to that city by a Jewish remnant of leaders in that city welcoming back. There's a swell from the nations and alignment that comes with heaven that will bring about that day when the fullness will come, the day we long for. Let's look at another psalm. I'm wanting to give you ammunition or fuel inside of you for how to pray and how, how to, you can refer back on days of, uh, during your trip when you're, when you're going all about the land. You'll think back and say, oh yeah, what was that scripture, Psalm 48? Walk around her walls and declare the purposes of God. Declare, prophesy to the stones, prophesy to the city, prophesy to the people and declare the goodness of the Lord. Guys, you got to get it inside of you to have anything to say. I can't emphasize this enough. I've said it for 20 years in the GTS. But there's many young people that want to be messengers and they want to burn with passion for the Lord. But there has to be something for passion to stay fueled by. And that's we get the word of God and we get it by revelation and deposit it inside of us. Eat it up. Eat it up, these scriptures that I'm giving you. Maybe you're, not, you're like, wow, Matt's talking about a lot of scripture now, and he's talking really fast, and he really believes it, but I don't know how I connect to this. Well, write them down and get them inside you, and I guarantee that the Holy Spirit will light it up inside of you, and he'll give you prayers to pray and prophecy to declare, and he'll give you praises and songs to sing over the land so that you can become a part of the fulfillment of the very passion of God concerning the restoration of that city and that place. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment. Do you see the governmental connection again? Government and glory. Just get get it inside of you. Jerusalem is about government and glory for the whole earth. For thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. It's a dynasty of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Here, some language for your prayer and for your prophecy and for your praise. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Yes, the house of the Lord is being established everywhere where God's people gather together in unity around the world, but it has its center point and its central focus there because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Feel the passion in David's heart as he prays and he commands the people to pray concerning Jerusalem. Let's look at another one. Here's some more fuel for your prayer, your praise, your prophecy. Isaiah 66. You can...
speaking of the future fulfillment when the reverse of the curse of sin takes place. For behold, I create... Uh, 66 verse 17, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and a joy for her people. I will rejoice in Jerusalem in joy in my people. Again, it's land and people, it's place and people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And you can continue on there, but that gives you another context. There's some future fulfillment that you can declare. Lord, thank you for your joy over your city. Lord, thank you that that joy will touch the people within her that have known sorrow, that have known weeping, but no longer will they hear that. No longer will they hear the crying, but there will be the sounds of the Lord's joy over her. There will be the sounds of the Lord's joy within her. And so we declare and we rejoice over over the city of our God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's look at Luke 19. Another one to fuel our prayer and our passion, our prophecy from this idea of connecting. If we want to be in alignment to Zion, then we need to connect passion and priorities together that changes our perspective and it brings us into alignment. Luke 19 and verse 41. Luke 19, 41. Feel the passion of Yeshua's heart. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, that the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children without you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. Yeshua wept with sorrow over the city and the people of Jerusalem because they did not recognize him at his first coming. But surely they will recognize him. In fact, the scriptures say he cannot return. He will be received in heaven, not only till they recognize him, until they look upon the one they pierced, but they welcome him by saying, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But even in their not recognizing of him, it brings sorrow of heart. He weeps. He shows emotion over their lack of recognition. He said, because you don't know, but you, by missing this t- day of your visitation, by not seeing the one who is comforted, not recognizing who is in your midst at this time, There will be the nations that will surround themselves against you. There will be devastation that comes to your city. Actually, I'd like to really preach out of this passage, but we're going to continue on. He has emotion over Jerusalem.
Matthew 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you see, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if we have a hard heart and we read this verse, we focus on the fact that the people were not willing, but we miss the emotion and the passion of Yeshua's heart, who is saying, even though you were unwilling, I wanted to gather you. Even though you didn't, could not see it like, like a mother hen, I wanted to draw you into my wings. I wanted, when you were rejecting me, I wanted to pull you close. When you couldn't see me who, for, who I am, I, when you rejected me, I will not reject you. But my heart is to draw you to my side, to draw you to my heart. What is that mother hen? As they spread out their wings in protection, they bring them under the chicks, under the warmth. They bring her close to the heartbeat. They bring her close to the heart and they create an environment of safety, of protection, of nurture, of love, of care. And he's saying it's like that. It's like, I just want to spread my arms around you and I want to pull you close to my heart. Do you feel the passion of Yeshua's heart when he weeps again and he cries out over Jerusalem? We need to be aligned to Zion, and in order to do it, it's a heart issue first. It's not a theological issue. But I'm just, I'm just kind of like water hosing you with Scripture today, hoping that something will land either now or in the future that touches your heart, not your minds. It touches your heart first, so you say, I want... My passion to line up with Yeshua's passion. I want my passions to line up where I cannot stay silent. I will not be quiet. I will not hold my peace until you make Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Did you know that there was so much focus on this city in Scripture? It continues from beginning to end as a central point in God's redemptive plan. God is looking for our hearts to be aligned with Zion, where our perspective is informed by the passion of our hearts first. If we have passion that's born of God inside of our hearts it will change our actions. God always deals with the heart first, and then out of the heart, our actions follow. And so from the place of passion, then our priorities begin to change. There's a reordering in our life. There's a shifting. I pray that there's a shift in your prayer life. It's good to pray for your family. It's good to pray for your prayer list. But you know what? You got you to gotta step out at some point to pray bigger prayers, to connect to bigger prayers that aren't only self-centered and that are connected to God's eternal purposes. His eternal purposes, yes, are connected to individual lives. But there's something that I want my heart to be wowed by. I want something for my heart to be awed by, to see the majesty, the beauty, and the glory of God's redemptive plan that's far bigger than my own life. But I want to be a part of raising a sound in my generation that says, I can catch a glimpse of the glory of your design from beginning to end. And I don't want to just think about my own life and my family. I want to pray for nations. 
I want to pray for peoples. I want to pray for cities. But I recognize in doing that that there's a centrality. There's a passion in your heart to my heart to be captured in love for the city that you call your own, the city of the great king, the holy hill of Zion. And when you come into alignment with that, your heart comes into alignment, your passion comes into alignment, and all of a sudden you notice that your actions start to look differently. Your words start to look differently. They sound different. Out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. And what you declare has power in prayer, in praise, in prophecy, in the preaching of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We read earlier in Psalm 87, verse 2, that the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So God set a priority in the land and in the journey of Israel, Jacob, Israel was his name after it was changed by God from Jacob to Israel. And it became, he became the father of the nation through his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes and they came into the land and they, the, the 12 tribes took on the national identity of the promises for the land and for the nation. He says, more than all of the dwelling places of Jacob, or more than all of the tribes, more than all of the allotted lands of the promised land that I've given, I like the gates of Zion. I love the gates of Zion more than all of those. With the story, think about, think about um, the dwelling places of Jacob. A place where he laid his head upon a stone in a city that was called Lutz, right? And he slept on that stone and he had a vision and he had a dream of a ladder that went up into heaven with angels ascending and descending. And he woke up and he said, surely God is in this place. And he changed the name from Lutz there to Bethel, the house of God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Even though that amazing portal that, that between heaven and earth that Jacob would come back to and reaffirm his covenant with God. He took a stone and he set it on end and he poured oil on it and he anointed it and he set it apart and he marked it. But God loves the gates of Zion more than he does Bethel. Man, I, I want a Bethel. I want to, uh, surely this is the house of God, is what Bethel means. The house of God, surely this is the place where it has a thin place with a connection between heaven and earth. Maybe even Jerusalem in Jacob's day didn't have that kind of access. But God sees not according to the temporary, he sees according to his eternal plan and he invites us when eternity is born in our hearts and that we're born from heaven to ascend to a place with him where we can see Jerusalem not as it is but as it will be. And we begin to declare according and we hasten, we speed up, we connect to the timeline of God to bring what will be into the present either for us or for our children or our children's children. It doesn't matter. We're narrowing the gap for the fullness of God's plan to come. There's a priority amongst all of the dwelling places of Jacob for the gates of Zion. Psalm 137 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Touch our hearts. 
let it flow out into our actions, change our perspective. This is a song from the time of captivity when Israel was exiled. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. Again, great passion concerning Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For those who carried us away captive asked for us a song. And they, they and those who uh, plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. What were those songs of Zion? Yeah, maybe songs of ascent, songs from the temple, songs that were written in expression of coming to the presence of God on his holy hill. And even Babylon, even their oppressors knew about the songs of Zion. They knew about Zion's songs. They knew the great joy that came when, when Israel made pilgrimage up to the mountain of the Lord. And they said, they, after they, cap, they captured them and took them as exiles to Babylon, their oppressors said, come on, sing for us. Sing for us one of those Zion songs. Whether it was sincere or in mockery, it's the same thing that there was news and word of the songs of Zion that reached and touched the nations. But people said, how can we sing Zion songs? How can we sing those songs when we are in a foreign land? How should we sing, verse 4, how should we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now listen to the priority of their hearts. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. You have to understand in those days, your trade was, came through apprenticeship of learning from your father to do what your family trade was. Let my right hand forget its skill means that I'm not going to have any way of providing for myself. It's pointless for me to work my trade. It's pointless for you, me to use the skills that represent my household and my family being separated from Zion, being separated. If I forget you, if I'm separated from you, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. I mean, this is dramatic language here. They're saying, sing these songs. And they're saying, if I can't remember God and Zion, if I can't remember this, the place of God's choosing, I'm not going to not only be able to sing, I'm not going to be able to speak. I'm going to be as a mute here. I'm not going to have anything that comes up. What is the point of my existence if I cannot give praise to God in Zion? Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. It's as if I don't count you or if I don't exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Amazing. Talking about priorities, for the exiles of Israel... They said, let me no longer be able to speak and now let me no longer be able to work. Basically, let, there, there's no point to any output from my life if I don't exalt Jerusalem as 
my chief joy or my greatest joy. All of a sudden, the priorities for the Israelites is coming, you know, where I don't know where it is on the scale for us of priorities, but they're saying here, all these things that seem like just the basics of life and of relationships and of sustenance and, and of how we live, find meaning in our life through our communication and the ability to have relationships and through the skill of our hands, ability to provide for ourselves and to find a family identity. All of those things that would seem way up here, they're saying, if I do not have Jerusalem as my chief joy, as my greatest joy, then let them go down. My life isn't worth anything. We put that in, in context for ourselves. Surely God is wanting to ratchet up the priority of Zion in our own hearts, in our own lives. Surely the Lord is wanting to elevate Zion inside of our hearts, to prioritize, to see that it's the center of his plan. Look, it's not a nationalistic thing here that I'm talking about. It's for the fullness of God's glory to be revealed in all of the earth. We think about these priorities from a perspective of the new covenant. Not only did Yeshua link the salvation of Jerusalem and the response of Jerusalem in welcoming him back to his return to the earth, saying this has to happen first before I can come back and release the fullness of my glory and release the fullness of my government for all the nations of the earth to rejoice and be happy. Taken from Psalm 67. It's linked to first, you welcoming me back. Or for the exiles of Israel, if I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy, my chief joy, my primary, my greatest joy. But also in the redemptive plan of God for the word of the Lord to go from Jerusalem. He says, In Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. And it shows a pattern here from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I've heard a lot of people growing up in missions and use it from a missiological viewpoint. It's not entirely wrong, but if we don't see the first meaning and honor the first meaning, then we don't have permission to draw secondary meaning from. And they say, well, any place you are is your Jerusalem, and then your surrounding areas is your Samaria, and then so God has called you first to where you live, and then to your neighborhood, your city, your town, your country, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, and that's how you make your priorities. But we cannot give that application if we don't first recognize the original intent of the author and the, what it would mean to the intended audience. It was in light of all these prophetic words. It was in light of all of these psalms. He's saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Where? Wait for me in Jerusalem. 
at the time of the feast. He set a date for them. He set a meeting point, a place and a time. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Paul takes this and he, uh, concerning the priorities of God, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it was his methodology to go to the synagogue in every place first. And then if they did not receive, if they received him, he would preach and use that as the launching pad for that area to present the gospel. If they did not receive him, he moved to the marketplace. But he went to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Because he understood the priorities of the plan of God. The end goal was the whole earth being filled with the glory. It was for all the nations to be glad. But there was a way and that God intended for that to happen. So our passion and our priorities must line up with God's word, with God's plan, and with God's design. This has got to change our prayer life. This has got to change how we preach the gospel. This has got to change how we prophesy. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit touches the life of a believer, there is something that happens, we see it every time in the book of Acts, that happens with the mouth of that person is opened up with a new authority and a new expression. Sometimes it's in heavenly language. Sometimes it's with bold preaching. Other times it's in prophecy. They receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to prophesy. So it's, it's, but it all connects from the indwelling spirit of God and then it works its way out from that well within us and it's expressed through our mouths. Preaching, praying in tongues, proclaiming the gospel, uttering praise to God. All of these things are connected to our mouths. So when we talk about alignment, something has got to change with the plan of God when we see it in our prayer in our praise, in our prophecy, in our proclamation of the gospel. Because this Holy Spirit will only give witness to the plan of the Father. And so he wants to bring alignment in our hearts. And we become familiar with praying and prophesying and proclaiming these scriptures that are a, point, are a part of his plan. Now, in the end times, there are these pro- promises concerning Jerusalem. I referred to it earlier, but let's look at Isaiah chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 2, 2, 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, meaning the end times, or in the language of the prophet, the day of the Lord, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. 
So there is something that's going to take place at the end that we've looked from other viewpoints and other angles, but it says it so clearly here. And this prophecy is mirrored in Micah chapter 4, verse 2. So you have Isaiah uh, 2, 2, and then you have Micah 4, 2. Okay, or, or Isaiah 4, 1 and 2. I, yeah, Isaiah 2, uh, 2 through... Four, and then you have Micah four, and it mirrors the exact same prophecy here. That God will actually raise up the mountain of the Lord above every other, the top of every other mountain, and he will exalt them above the hills. The Lord in his redemptive plan has raised up hills and mountains around the earth as a part of his redemptive plan, as a part of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. But there's a reorganizing towards the day of the Lord where it says the mountain of the Lord, Jerusalem, is going to be raised up now above those. So there have been epicenters as the gospel went out from Jerusalem. You know, we know that in the first century when the gospel went out of Jerusalem, in order to get the gospel out of Jerusalem, there was persecution that came. Eventually the temple fell in 70 AD. The disciples were dispersed from it and they had to go out. If they didn't obey the original commission, now there wasn't any choice. God had to get his word to the ends of the earth. And then there became new epicenters. There became new hubs of new mountains raised up like in Antioch, which we we talked about on on Monday together. There were new hubs like Ephesus that were raised up. There were new places like Rome and other places up to current and modern times where the hill of the Lord was established and it became a center of teaching and a center of learning and of mobilization for the kingdom. But what God, what this scripture is saying is that in the end times, in the latter days, that God is now going to elevate Jerusalem in the first century there it was leveled Yeshua said that because you did not see me and there won't be a stone left on but that's not the end of the story it wasn't the raising of Jerusalem by not raising RAA but the the destroying of Jerusalem by the Romans that was the end of the story it was that God in those branches that were broken off to use the olive tree analogy of Romans 11 brought other hills to be elevated around the earth so that salvation might come to the Gentiles salvation could come to the nations but here we have a parallel example using mountains instead of olive trees that in the end times God is going to now raise up Jerusalem again above all the other other nations and those hills and those places of strength where the gospel has gone forth and been established then will connect and realign with Jerusalem it's one of the greatest works of God in our generation as the nations are beginning to come into alignment now we needed a nation to be restored in order to begin to see that and to do it other than from what we had in scripture But before your parents' generation, there was no visible eyewitness to be able to see because there was no Israel in place for millennia. There was no Israel in place since the early centuries. And then now, all of a sudden, there's the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And there's a fight within that still for the sovereignty of Jerusalem 
as the capital of Israel. But we're seeing in our day that that's shifting and there, there's a shifting that's taking place and a movement that's taking place to reestablishing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel so that prophecy can be fulfilled, so that the redemptive plan of God can be worked out. And it says, now it will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths what are you doing tomorrow morning when you wake up at oh dark 30 or whatever what time do you have to get up pretty early I think right four let me help you with your attitude at four in the morning, turn to your roommate and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. You're, you are connecting into the divine flow of the restoration of Jerusalem into what the prophet saw ago so long, saw long, so long ago and that you're connecting in the beginnings of those fulfillments of going up to Jerusalem. Many people should come and say, come and let us go up to the house, uh, to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Man, let this be the prayer in your hearts during Experience Israel Journey 2019. Father, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. And we shall walk in his paths. We started out in Psalm 84 talking about the pathways to Zion, the pilgrimage routes to go up to Zion. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Step again with your feet on those ancient paths to see the good ways of God. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He'll judge between the nations. Here's the government aspect again. And rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. What was the first description that we gave? What's the first name in the Bible of Jerusalem? Salem, peace. And it's out of Salem. It's out of that city that the nations will learn peace and put aside the implements of war and turn them into instruments of agriculture. We'll turn them, it says in another place, from swords into plowshares. That they'll use those same metal implements to use them for farming, for produce, for fruitfulness. And they will not learn war anymore. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So at the end, Jerusalem will be seen again as a way to teach the nations peace instead of war. When the government of God is established, when Yeshua sits on his throne on his holy hill, and that's why even now, when the nations are raging, God laughs because he sees the end from the beginning. And what was first called peace will become a place where people learn 
be instruments of peace for the restoration of the whole world and the renewal of the whole world under the government and the glory of the Lord. When you think about Jerusalem, think about government and glory. When you think about Zion, think about government and glory. The most righteous, highest perspective of government and the fullness of God's glory that will be revealed through the nations. And the glory of the law and the teaching that went out from Jerusalem and the glory of the gospel that went out from Jerusalem, it will all pale in comparison to the fullness of the glory when the king sits upon his throne on that holy hill called Jerusalem. Now you guys get to go tomorrow, but don't just go as tourists to the pathways of Zion. Our feet have walked in your paths. Learn his ways. Sing the songs of Zion. And go as pilgrims, saying, I have an inheritance here. As a singer, as a musician, and a one who's been recorded as being born spiritually from Zion, I have an inheritance here to see Jerusalem become a cup of praise in all the earth. And for God's glory to be poured out upon the nations of the earth. I want to send you out now and pray this for you if you would stand to your feet. Father, I pray for my friends here in GTS 2019 that this would not just be a part of the program. This would not just be another trip. But that you would connect your passion for your city and you would connect from that passion their priorities in what they pray, how they praise, how they prophesy, how they proclaim the good news. Speak good tidings to Jerusalem. Speak good tidings. Declare the word of the Lord. Take these scriptures that you've jotted down today. And go over them and over and over and over it again till it comes out of your life so that when you walk in the land, you prophesy the fullness. You prophesy the redemption. You prophesy that which is coming and become an instrument that your pilgrim feet that touch the ancient paths would literally be opening up a way for the nations that you represent to come into alignment with the king in Zion. Now, the amazing thing is, most of Israel didn't know what they were doing. They were just obeying, and they were joining their family and the heads of the households to go up three times a year to the feast. And they had fun along the way. They sang Zion songs. They picnicked along the way. They camped out along the way. They had community and all that. That's what you're going to do? You're going to have fun. There'll be singing. There'll be uh, journeying. You'll be walking. You'll be hiking around the land. You'll be walking around the streets of Jerusalem. But keep in mind a greater redemptive and prophetic purpose for this journey than just that. As Israel went up three times a year, we're going up now, but with an understanding that prophetically we can help unlock the future intention of God for the fullness to come to Jerusalem in government glory and for it to extend across the whole world. 
So, Father, I just commission this class to come into alignment with Zion, that their passion of their heart would speak to their priorities of their language, and that by the Holy Spirit they would pray, praise, prophesy, and proclaim good news according to your word, and that they would literally be used to unlock and open up the pilgrimage routes for the nations to come into alignment with your purposes concerning Jerusalem and the King, Yeshua, the Messiah, who is coming back there and will rule and reign over all the earth from that place. In Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.